Hello, and welcome to the Cosmic Cauldron with hosts Jamie and Charlotte, where we discuss spirituality, paganism, witchcraft, holistic lifestyles, and everything in between. So gather around the cauldron every Wednesday, where we brew up a new topic. Hello, and welcome back to the Cosmic Cauldron, Season 2, Episode 9. Today's episode is honoring Women's History Month. We're going to be taking a look at some of the women that have shaped occult history um, throughout this country and and maybe a few more. I don't know what all we have, but um, this episode is sure to be a fun look into the past. Yes, really looking excited. Really looking excited. Good Lord. Going great already. Yes. <laughs> Um, yes, we're really looking forward to this episode. You know, we got the idea because this is Women's History Month. So we wanted to take the opportunity to look back at some of the historic influences of the occult. Women have had a very close relationship with the occult um, for, you know, a very long time. Uh, sometimes whether they wanted one or not. Um, over the years, women have been cast as unnatural or supernatural or angelic, demonic, attuned to death, or even, you know, in league with the devil. Ooh. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you know, there's this huge, you know, I would say resurgence of witch energy that's happening right now but how did we get from say you know salem (laughs) witch trials to today's very proud witches well centuries of women have responded to these accusations by using the occult as a route to power and so we're going to cover some of the women today that have really harnessed that power (laughs) for themselves um, whether it be in the witchy arena or the spiritualist arena Um, We're going to cover everything, and um, I was excited to learn uh, some of the facts that we're going to be sharing today, so I hope you are too. Yes, and as a reminder, this is an inclusive space here, so this means all women. That means biological women, those who identify as women, but... For a lot of the time periods that we're going to be covering today, these are going to be covering biological women. And that is more a circumstance of the time than it is a political statement. So I guess to start us off, we could talk about Marie Laveau. Now, this is one of my favorites. Uh, I have to go ahead and put out there that I am not a voodoo practitioner for some pretty obvious reasons. But I have always respected voodoo and hoodoo. Uh, for, for one reason, New Orleans is like a second home for me. So I, I go there bare minimum once a year. It's, it's just a beautiful city. And if you have never been there, I encourage you to go. And on my last trip, which was in December of 2022, I went and took another tour to the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. Now, this is the cemetery that houses Marie Laveau's tomb. 
It used to be that you could get in there without a tour guide, but it just so happened that this time I did have a tour guide, which was cool because it allowed me to know some of the history around what was in the cemetery and particularly when we got to Marie Laveau. Now, her tomb is probably the entire reason you cannot access uh, St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. And it's because people will go to her tomb and they will leave, leave trinkets, they will leave coins, but they'll also scratch three X's into her tomb. Now, this is meant to be like a spiritual request. If you leave offerings and you etch that into her tomb, it is said that she'll assist you with your workings. Now, Marie Laveau passed in 1881. There is some conflict on her birth year, and this is further compounded because Marie Laveau had a daughter and named her Marie Laveau. So when historians are going through her documents, it's really hard to say, is this Marie Laveau 1? Is this Marie Laveau 2? But regardless, Marie Laveau was known as a healing master. Basically, she was a voodoo practitioner and she used her magic to heal people. And she was very high up in the community. She had a lot of high-end clients that she helped. It was also said that she was a hairdresser. Now, whether this was a cover or her original profession and where she managed to discuss this ahead of time with her clients. I'm not really sure where that fell alongside of this, but being a hairdresser, that's, that's a really interesting career because if you think about it, when you go to your hairdresser modern day, you're, you're telling them a lot about your life. There's something about the experience that really gets you to open up. So I could really see how this worked side by side between healing and, and actually getting your hair cut. Yeah. A lot of people will actually say that, you know, their hairstylist is like their therapist. <laughs> Sometimes they get a haircut and a session. Exactly. <laughs> that's what, that's what I was thinking when the, the tour guide was telling me this. I'm like that, that really makes a lot of sense. I could see this. Well, and you could learn so much about everyone too, because of, of the gossip. Right. You know, like my grandmother was a cosmetologist. She learned all kinds of things, you know, and uh, one of my yeah. very, very good friends to this day is also a hairstylist. And she said the things her clients tell her, you know, so um, it would be a good way to <laughs> manipulate if you wanted to know about people and know their how they work and how they operate, you know, doing some investigative work there. Yeah, I was thinking about it from from the perspective of building rapport. Like I, you would already sort of see this as a healing, you know, experience. And to know that, like, she could do some spell work for you to get rid of that pesky husband. Like, right. Sounds pretty good. It's like a one stop shop. Right. <laughs> no wonder they were so popular. What was really going on? Right. <laughs> I just wanted to take a moment right here to let you guys know that the following story was confirmed to be a hoax. When Jamie and I record, we both take our separate topics and then we like to surprise each other during recording so our responses are authentic and more natural and to keep it fresh for y'all. 
So I just wanted to let you know this is a hoax, but it was so entertaining, we decided to keep it in here. So let's continue. Well, I've got a cool one for you. I was um, pretty excited to read about the Fox sisters. So this was 14-year-old Maggie and her 11-year-old sister, Catherine, who I think they called Kate. Uh, This was in 1848. They lived in Hydesville, New York, um, in a home with their parents. Uh, Their parents were renting this home. I don't know why that detail seemed important, but it was. But when the girls were living in this home, they started hearing some strange knocking going on in the house, right? And they were telling everyone that this was spirits. And it happened so frequently that they started to realize that when they would ask something, you know, they would knock back. If they would knock, it would knock. If they would ask it a question, it would knock. And so they developed a very complex system over that next week. And it became quite obvious that this was a sentient spirit of some sort. Like it was very clearly interacting with them knowledgeably, you know. And so they started going through the alphabet and having the spirit knock on certain letters so they could actually have a full on conversation with this spirit. And mind you, these are just teenagers, right? This is 1848. So there was a lot of the spiritualist movement stuff happening, but still this was pretty like, taboo at the time, right? So their parents were so perplexed, they actually had some of their neighbors come over and confirm that this was actually happening, like see it for themselves. Can you imagine like 1848, your neighbor comes over and they're like, hey, uh, we're going to need you to come check this ghost that's happening in our house. Like, <laughs> Was there like an Ed and Lorraine Warren of this? Uh, I'm not really sure. <laughs> Somebody call Ghostbusters. Right. Um, But the neighbors did confirm that they were experiencing it too. And the spirit, this, this thing in the house started to tell them that he was the ghost of a murdered man who was buried under the home. Crazy, right? So sure enough, they did some investigating because it was such a huge thing that they actually dug under the house and they did find bones. Can you imagine? That is creepy. So these were like among the first solidified psychic mediums that we got going here the fox sisters some of them some of them right and so yeah they became they very quickly became famous right and everyone wanted them holding seances so this was like the the time of seances everyone was wanting them to come over and host seances because that's how they saw them they're like wow these girls can talk to the dead or whatever this is so cool um And so it really led to the growth of the spiritualist movement. They definitely contributed a lot to the validity of it at the time. Um, And they traveled around hosting seances. And by 1852, they had so much money that they were basically taking care of themselves and providing completely for themselves, what, six years? No, four years later? Four years later. It's pretty crazy, right? So... Their, their discovery and this, this communication with the alphabet did later lead to the inspiration behind the Ouija board, which I thought was kind of cool. Okay, that is pretty cool. I had actually not heard of them. Yeah, I hadn't either. So I was really surprised. And I was like, wow, this story is so cool and multifaceted. Like <laughs> these little teenagers were so brave, you know, and that's what we're that's what we're celebrating. Right. Is these brave women, you know, because 
even now today it's still kind of taboo some of these things can you imagine in 1848 how taboo all of this was you know yeah exactly i'm i'm surprised it wasn't an off with their heads moment (laughs) now granted you know we're we're sort of we've moved along the timeline we weren't covering the the salem witch trials and those started in 1692 In fact, they started in February, one of the first people to be prosecuted for crimes of witchcraft during the Salem Witch Trials was the beginning of March. I want to say it was Sarah Good and also Tatuba. But yeah, the the, the first rounds of witches were being prosecuted around this time in 1692. So to to be able to say, hey, guys, I hear ghosts when previously that would have been friggin insanity, like straight to the gallows. Yeah. That is pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I even though there was that that spiritualist movement growing, that was still a very, like, backdoor kind of thing that was happening. It wasn't like it was gossiped about over tea, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's the Fox sisters. Who do you have next? The next one I have. Now, this is a controversial figure, but... I can't skip her. I, I know that, that that seems weird, but I can't. Her name is Helena Blavatsky. She was born in 1831 and died in 1891. She was born in what was then Russian territory. Now it's a part of Ukraine. But she was very influential, particularly in the movement for Western esotericism. Now, she gets a little controversial, um, particularly... In the fact that, you know, when you're going through history, a lot of people now try to judge things from a modern lens on things that you cannot judge from a modern lens. Like these people were a product of their time and it is unfortunate and I do not agree with every one of her beliefs, but I, I can't skip her. Like I can't say that she has not had influence in the Western occultism that that we know today she really has now she had she was a noble woman so this girl was rich for her time too so she had access to materials that other people did not have and on top of that her grandmother was said to be a psychic so she got her love of the occult at an early age her grandma passed when she was around nine but she continued to pursue this and she, she was pretty nomadic. She lived, you know, she was born in what was Russia. She traveled Europe. She was in Germany, France, and England. But then she also went to India and Tibet. But she came over to the United States in 1873. And this is where she found, she founded the Theosophical Society. That was in 1875 with Henry Alcott and William Judge. Now, it's usually this society that gets called into question, like, what were they saying? What I can find on their website for current day is that they sort of have like a universalism um, approach to things. Like they believe that there is, that there's a sense of unity and that there's like an underlying religion to all of the religions, which to me doesn't sound too out of whack, but there's probably some some things that I have have not seen and you know 
I am always welcome to discuss them. But yeah, I could not pass her up. It's just she's she's too big of a name not to mention. Yeah, I agree. Definitely worth a mention here. So the next one I wanted to mention, and I I don't have as much on her, but her name is Helen Peters Nosworthy, I believe um, is how you pronounce that. And she is the woman who actually helped to build the Ouija board. So I figured she was worth mentioning as well, even though her story isn't as grand as maybe some of the others. Um, She was the sister-in-law of a man named Elijah Bond, who was one of the owners of the Kennard, Kennard maybe novelty company, which was a toy company. And before her role with this toy company, there had been people who had made very like rudimentary type of Ouija boards with pieces of wood and, and paint or whatever, um, just making their own. But uh, the, the Kennard company actually, created a a game board sort of one and she had a huge role in how that ended up coming out in the way that it did the way it's laid out and everything and apparently she also had to do with how it was named so apparently miss nosworthy sat down with the ouija board and before it was called that and literally asked it what it wanted to be called. So that's what's really cool about this story. So she let the game name itself. And supposedly it's spelled out O-U-I-J-A. When they asked for clarification on what that meant, it's simply spelled out good luck, apparently. Which can be like sweet, but also ominous. (laughs) I can't say that word right now. Ominous? Ominous. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, now, people say that Ouija comes from the French and German words for yes and we um, oui and ja, but uh, this was never confirmed. So the story isn't exactly confirmed either, but I thought it sounded pretty cool and appropriate for something of, of this caliber, you know, like it named itself. What? <laughs> That is interesting. And I could see this, particularly when it moved from being a talking board to being the the brand name Ouija board, because they existed. They existed for centuries before for, before this time frame, but it eventually became marketed as a Ouija board versus a spirit board or a talking board, which had been historically used. So kind of like you know, can I have a Kleenex became synonymous for a tissue. Ouija board became synonymous for a talking board. So yeah, I, I find, I find that pretty fascinating. I I had heard her name, but I hadn't gone too far into her story in particular. So that is really interesting. Yeah. I always like to hear the stories behind things. You know, it's, there's so much history out there. And it's like, you learn things like this and you're like, wow, holy crap. I never knew that. <laughs> like, that's neat. right. Right. Now, another one that I really, really wanted to cover. Um, 
and I don't have any literature on her. I found a book, but it was like $40, and with all these stacks around me right now, I can't. I can't, in clear conscience, get a $40 book about this woman, even though I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 literature out there for her is so scarce, and it's, it's always bothered me. Uh, this is the person I wanted to speak about is Pamela Coleman Smith. She was born in 1878 and died in 1951. Now, she is, she also went by the name Pixie, and she's best known because she is the woman who illustrated the Rider Waite Smith tarot deck. So, which is what I even use today. I have so many decks, it's ridiculous, but the one that I actually pull is a standard Rider Waite. That, that's the one that is infused with my energy. That's the one I get the best response. That's, that's my go-to. And this was the woman who did the artwork. Now, she was commissioned to do the artwork by Arthur Edward Waite. Now, he was an occultist and he commissioned her to, to basically draw his vision of the cards onto the deck. But this isn't her only accomplishment. This is just her most notable one. She was actually an author and illustrator. She had many books and a lot of them pertain to folklore. She was born in London to a Jamaican mother and an American father. So some of her books were about Jamaican folklore. And much like the others that I've mentioned, she was also nomadic. So she traveled around a bunch of places. She did. She was born in London, but she would visit Jamaica as well. And in the early 1890s, she moved to New York City before moving back to England. And this was around the time she became a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So she was an occultist through and through. And it really showed in, in her publications. Folklore and mystical elements, and you could see it in her artwork that this, this was a... Oh, a woman who was definitely influenced by the occult and the unknown. Now, I tried to find even more information about her. She's somebody that I would want to thoroughly research. I was so fascinated by the little snippets that I was able to find that one of these days I'm going to come on here and I'll be like, guys, I did it. I bought the $40 book. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> she will. She'll buy the yes. $40 book. <laughs> I will. I will. I spent $40 on books this week. So uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> she's going to need a bigger library <laughs> book. I really am. I really am. I'm looking around here and there's one, two, three, four, five. There's six stacks of books and I'm only in my bedroom. <laughs> my library's downstairs. <laughs> yep. Uh, you are a book reading gal yes you are it inspired me more yes. actually i'm reading a novel right now believe it or not greg got it for me because um, i wanted to i've been trying to find a novel to read forever it's like i can't get away from the fucking self-help books you know like <laughs> non-fiction crap yeah. um history books whatever oh my goodness i love non-fiction but I don't know. When I, I read fiction, it's like this escape. So, yeah, I think it's hard to turn my brain off to even do that 
sometimes. Like, I feel like if I'm not constantly being productive, then, like, what am I even doing? But then at the same time, the thought of that sometimes is, like, so overwhelming that I do nothing. And then the cycle just deepens. (laughs) I can understand that. (laughs) All right. The last lovely lady I want to mention is Dion Fortune. And uh, she died in 1946, but she was born in 1891 with the name of Violet Mary Firth. Um, I don't know why I said it like that. Violet. (laughs) Uh, I like the emphasis. That little uptick. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, I guess maybe uh, it denoted that. I don't know. But Violet Mary Firth uh, was a British occultist. And she was a very prolific writer, apparently, and she had a huge impact on modern witchcraft and paganism with her, with her writing. And she was considered, honestly, one of the leading occultists of her time. Um, And she did a lot of ceremonial magic. And it's said that perhaps she was even one of the first occult writers to approach magic and like hermetic concepts from like the psychology aspect of Jung and Freud. Um, so she, she was doing some, some things on her own here. I'd be curious to see uh, what her birth chart looks like. Cause she was definitely just like, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. And I love that. Um, so she was actually born to a family of Christian scientists. Um, but she started displaying like, um, medium abilities um, when she was in her teens. And by the time she got to her early 20s, she was actually working as a law analyst. Um, So she's very, very, very smart. And she started to really explore and research like the human psyche. Like I said, she was a very prolific writer, um, really pouring everything she knew and understood about the occult into both novels and nonfiction, speaking of. Um, in her pen name, she actually got from a magical motto that she had adopted um, when she had joined this group called Stella Matutina. I probably butchered that. Um, and it was Dion Non Fortuna or something like that. Um, which meant by God and not chance. And so she shortened it to Dion Fortune and that became her pen name. Love it. Love it. I have read several of her books. So this is a name that I've seen in circulation quite a bit. I didn't know any of her history because sometimes I don't go down. Uh, the, the histories of every author that I read, I, I do try to get a working understanding of what they're about, but on occasion, sometimes I just, I just read. <laughs> <laughs> and although there are dozens and probably hundreds more women that had an impact on the occult, um, for time's sake, <laughs> we are just leaving you with those six for now. And maybe, maybe we'll visit more in the future, but this was our way of honoring, um, women's history month for March and And in addition to that, I thought it would be fun if we took a minute to go over some women's history facts from throughout its life, how it got started, why we have it. Because honestly, I didn't even know most of this. Um, And I felt pretty terrible about that. (laughs) So 
So Women's History Month actually started, well, it can trace its roots back to 1857. It all started, apparently, from women in various New York City factories when they started protesting their poor working conditions. So they started coming together and being like, I don't think so. It's hot and sweaty. We're shoulder to shoulder. This is a fire hazard. I mean, how many of those factories burned down? Right. So it was another brave group of women who came together and started protesting. Um, and that became eventually what was what we now call women's history. Well, we call it women's history month. Now it started as women's history day and that started in 1909. But fast forward all the way to 1987. Um, we, then had Women's History Month. So it just kept getting expanded upon and expanded upon. And something else really cool is that apparently every new president that gets elected signs something that just says that we're going to have Women's History Month again for the next, like, however long, I guess, that year, next year, whatever, which was interesting. I don't know why they feel the need to do that, but um, apparently they do. That's kind of scary, given given how things are going right now. Yeah, I... I would really want to go back and reread that, all of that, because maybe I didn't read it exactly right, um, but it definitely said that they sign it in. So I don't know if that's just like a formality, like a nice thing to do, or if it's like an actual legal thing to do, you know? Is it like for show or is it for legal purposes? I'm not sure. Well, shit, right now, everything can be taken away. That's that's what's getting proved. Right. So. Exactly. Um, but something else I didn't know is that apparently there's a theme to every Women's History Month every year. Um, I had no idea, but this year is celebrating women who tell our stories. So you can, they have their website. Um, and right now the <laughs> words are hard. Um, <laughs> on their website, it says, that we will encourage the recognition of women past and present who have been active in all forms of media and storytelling, including print, radio, TV, stage, screen, blogs, podcasts, news, and social media. Oh, shit, it's I us. know. That's why I had to put that quote We're celebrating us. Yeah. <laughs> celebrating women who tell our stories. And we are literally telling other women's stories in this episode. So, yay. Yay, us. <laughs> Yay! So, um, these are just a fun, another few fun facts um, that I thought were interesting. Is that Wyoming? Wyoming? Is it Wyoming or Wyoming? Wyoming, I think. Does anybody go there? I'm not a hundred percent. Well, I sure haven't. Um, but apparently, it was the first territory, is what it was called then, to grant women the right to vote. And I found this really cool picture of these like badass, like Midwest looking women in their skirts, um, holding up like vote signs, which was pretty cool. Well, now I have a new travel destination. Right. Hopefully I'm headed to Wyoming. Actually, it's beautiful there. I've seen yeah. photos. But... It. I've seen, yeah, photos and videos and things. It does look really pretty, but surely they have it commemorated somewhere in some museum in Wyoming, I hope. But um, it wasn't until 1965 that all women could actually 
legally vote and participate in elections, believe it or not. Um, and another fun fact is that there was actually a woman named Claudette Colvin um, who had refused to give up her bus seat nine months before Rosa Parks did. And she's very, it wasn't as big of a deal, but she really set the stage for Rosa Parks to do her thing, I guess you could say, you know, like she set the foundation, seated it in everyone's mind so that when Rosa Parks came along, her, her, you know, movement and inspiration could have more of an impact. Good. Good. Yep. I had actually not heard of her because clearly when you think of this story, you think of Rosa Parks because of the documenting around that particular incident. I, I did not know that. I also thought it was important to mention because the aspect that seems to be forgotten here about this situation is that how these women really work together, whether they even realize they were working together or not, it just shows how we impact each other as women, you know, um, and in the background, sometimes it's like we, we may not always be in the foreground, but in the background, it's like, if we can just work together, <laughs> look at what we can accomplish, you know? Yes, a hundred percent. Um, I certainly believe in a collective energy and I'll go over that a little bit more in just a second, but yes, I've got one last fact for you. And this one also just had to be mentioned. Um, did you know that women couldn't get credit cards on their own until 1974? I did. There was still shit in place. Like what else am I thinking of? I remember, I remember not being able to, to do something unless your husband signs off on it. Like I re not personally firsthand, but I do remember this through like my mother as well. So this isn't like a distant past. Mm -hmm. This is fairly modern. Like we literally just got these rights. Yeah. <laughs> it's fresh. They're little baby it's rights. Fresh. Little baby rights. Yes. <laughs> yes. And if society is teaching us anything these days, it's that we are getting less and less, less oh, and less. They're, they're, they're not so much rights as, as they are favors. Mm, yeah, that... <laughs> and I don't like the presentation. <laughs> yeah, that could be a whole episode for another day, honestly. Yes, yes. Um, but I did want to take a moment um, to talk about collective energy. This is a big part of my practice as a whole. That's why you'll notice that we do themes. Um, we do holidays. We do holidays that aren't necessarily pagan in origin. Um, I even just did a blog on you know Mardi Gras explaining why I celebrate it, even though it's a Christian holiday. Um, but there's there's a spirit when when people around you are celebrating a common theme. So like for this month, it's women's history. Each month has a theme, but then there's these little smaller holidays. So in my own practice, I take this collective energy and I use this for spell work. So if you were wanting to do some women specific spell work, this would be a great time. This could be, you know, spell work involving women's health. This could be fertility. This could be confidence spells. It could be, you know, a beauty smell, smell, a beauty <laughs> spell or <laughs> smells. Yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, 
But go buy some perfume. But, you know, That's what we're saying. <laughs> actually, yes, glamour magic. Go enchant some perfume. Beauty smells. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> but but I want to be perfectly clear. This is all women. This is biological women. This is trans women. You know, it, it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum. Uh, we just wanted to take a moment to outline the historical contributions of women, particularly in the occult and, you know, the esoteric realm. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are interested, I have an article up on my Pathios column, and it is called Women's History, Historic Women of the Occult. When this episode goes live, I will be posting it to our stories, so you guys will have easy access to it. Of course, you can find my column over at Pathios. It's under my name, Charlotte Wilde. It's called Old Ways in Modern Times. And in case you didn't know, on June 8th, my book is coming out. It is Eclectic Witchcraft, Old Ways for Modern Magic by me, Charlotte Wilde, and I'm really excited about that. I have some events lined up for that, and I will keep you guys posted as I know more details. But we really do hope you enjoyed this episode, and let us know what you think on our Instagram at Cosmic Cauldron Podcast. So, until next time, blessed be. Peace out. Thank you.